Today our primary text again is in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13 through 15. It's only going to be three verses today. Three verses. Beginning in verse 13. The Word says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. You know, we've been studying the last several weeks about how God is a straight talker. He's not secretive. He's not removed from His creation. He's not isolated from His beloved, redeemed people. God loves us. He died for us. Praise the Lord, He communicates intelligently to us through His Holy Word. Hebrews chapter 1 assures us, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. And we know concerning the writings of the disciples of Jesus Christ through the apostles that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work, right? Well, if you've ever read Batman comics, and if you're familiar with any of his foes, there's one nemesis that you might remember. His name was the Riddler. And the Riddler, in case you're not familiar, he'd leave Batman and Robin coded messages at a crime scene that were encrypted, right? And and Batman's role as a superhero was to decipher that message and then save Gotham City before the uh, Riddler had the opportunity to strike again, right? So for excitement, the writer of Batman comics, his name was Bill Finger, he intentionally inserted this nervous tension of not really knowing whether Batman's going to make it in time. All the kids are watching. Was Batman heroic enough to decipher the Riddler's message? When it comes to Scripture, there needs to be a couple things that become obvious to us, very clear to us. Uh, And and because in Christendom, there's such a malicious campaign out there uh, to portray God's Word as, as being vague and ambiguous and, and that nobody really has the ability to understand is what is pr- proposed, we need to clarify a couple things. First of all, you and I are not Batman. We're not superheroes. Nobody here thinks they're Batman, do they? We have one. No, we're not Batman, but more importantly... Very important, God is not the Riddler. He didn't leave us coded messages upon which to contemplate or or hopefully somehow guess what His will is. God wants us to live our lives in relationship to Him and relationship to one another, and He tells us how to do it. It's in the written Word of God. No, quite to the contrary, Satan is actually more emblematic of the Riddler. 
Satan is the riddler because he tries to confuse us and cast doubt on the Bible through false teachers that will remove verses from context so that people will have an excuse to either doubt or just dismiss the validity of God's Word altogether. Satan, along with his servants, always try to convince us that we just simply can't know what God says. We can't know for sure. If all else fails, our our flesh might even entice us to go along with the program by implying, you know, all that Bible really doesn't mean what it says it means. And why why will our flesh do that sometimes? It's because we want approval, right? All of us want to be loved. All of us want people to approve of us. We want admiration. We want admiration. Whose approval should we be seeking? God's. God's. And we know His will. Uh, But the reason that Satan attempts to invalidate the message in whatever way he can is that he knows the message contained in the Bible is the only way that anybody ever gets saved from sin. And if he can disturb that message, if he can dilute that message, if he can marginalize that message in any way, he knows that he can keep people from understanding the truth about Jesus Christ, or at least make them doubt it. In actuality, God not only expects Christians to understand his word, revere his word, God expects us to behave according to his word. That's why John wrote in the beginning of the same chapter, chapter 5, he wrote, By this we know that we love the children of God, that is the church. When we love God and observe his commandments... For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Then he says, and His commandments are not burdensome. That was from two weeks ago. So what kind of God then would require His people to keep commands that He says are not burdensome if they are in fact unclear or nebulous, which is proposed? What kind of God would say, this is no problem, no burden for you really to to understand or to do, and then tell, give us a message that's unclear. That would be an irrational God that doesn't communicate, communicate clearly, right? And that's, what Satan wants, that's how Satan wants us to view God. He wants us to think that God's foolish and that his life's maintenance manual that we're all supposed to live by is it's nebulous. It's, it's undiscernible. Nobody can really understand what it says. We hear that all of the time. It's like one of those instruction manuals in that in IKEA furniture. You ever pulled one of those out and actually tried to put some of that stuff together? No one can understand that. This is one of the greatest challenges facing us as a church for evangelism and outreach to the community around us. Um, so many people in our culture have been brainwashed into thinking that nobody can really understand what the Bible says. That's what they're taught. Nobody can really know. It's going on in the school system. It's going on in a lot of churches. People are being taught they cannot know what God has said. Because apparently he's left us some kind of puzzle that no one can reliably understand. So continuing on a theme from last week, I'd say that Satan gets a pretty good laugh every time that Christians are willing to say, well, you know, we can't really know for sure. That approach to God's Word suggests to others that God is a riddler. Folks, we we need to be people who know the Word of God. We need to learn it. We need to understand it. We need to memorize it. 
and we need to proclaim it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks of you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That is what we need to be. That in Port St. Lucie, Lucie, Florida, and beyond, that Port St. Lucie Bible Church are, is regarded as a people who not only know the Word of God, but also believe the Word of God and also proclaim the Word of God to the community. That's what we need to be known as. So we come to, together, we worship, but we also come to learn. And, and we most accurately and efficiently learn the Bible in a group setting. Most efficiently, that's how we learn. Um, after spending nearly five months now in 1 John, we started on June 28th in this book, and we're going to have three weeks left. And you can't progress through this letter. You, you can't read through the letter without perceiving the importance of the community of believers. You can't do it. Christ's church is so important. In fact, you can't read any part of the Bible without understanding and, and recognizing that we are much more about a community of believers than we are individuals. It was true with Israel. It is true with us today. We are a community of believers. And we don't grow well when we're separated from the community of believers. When we're in spiritual isolation, we, we wither and we die. First John chapter 5 also told us two weeks ago that, that spiritual victory comes through obedience to God's commands and through committing to a community of believers, digesting the word together, edifying, encouraging one another, persevering through all kinds of challenges that will come our way, and then serving each other as we proclaim Christ. And you just can't easily survive apart from a body. You just, appendages just don't survive well when they're severed from a body, do they? No. Um, If you don't believe me that it's hard to survive apart from a body, ask any missionary that has gone out in the field, anywhere in the world, domestic or international, for any period of time, as they've been severed apart from their home church. And uh, you'll find that really broadly the greatest, the greatest challenge that they run into is being separated from their church. Greatest, it goes across denominational lines. The biggest challenge is they're isolated from the body. So you have to be a, a very, very strong person spiritually very strong, in order to go out into the world by yourself or even in a small group and be separated from the church to go and proclaim the gospel. That's what we see in a lot of our missionaries today, that they go out, they're strong people, they remain in the field for years and they serve Jesus Christ just as Paul did. And and when I look at it now, I think of of Paul and those times that he got to go back to Antioch or got to be with other believers after his missions, it must have very very much been an encouraging time for him because it's so hard to exist out there alone. So hard to thrive alone. And uh, since we're in Veterans Day today, I thought I'd mention as well. Does anybody remember the recruiting slogan of the Army was, Be all that you can be? What was the slogan after that? An army of one. That didn't last very long. 
They had commercials and everything. It was taken down quite quickly. We remember it. But it doesn't last very long because any veteran that is here today will tell you there is no army of one. You don't have an army of one. You rely on one another. You embrace one another. You care for one another. You defend one another. And really, you love one another. You have to in order to be a strong body, right? So there's no army of one And God's word assures us that there's no church of one. We are a body. The other thing that we experience a lot in pastoral ministries is when people will get separated from their Bible-believing body, their their church, uh, for any reason. It could be that you sold a home, you had to relocate, you got separated, um, haven't found a new church yet, you don't get to church regularly, illness, someone's hospitalized, they're separated from the body, imprisoned for the gospel. That separates people from the body. Uh, most often today, we, a lot of times it's just sin. In all kinds of ways, it separates us from the body, divides the body. But when it happens, emotionally, people usually crumble. Christians, born-again Christians, usually crumble apart from the body uh, that they're to be attached to. And a lot of times, their lives will go into a tailspin. A lot of times. A lot of times. And they'll come, and, and Gerald and I will, will see them and we'll say, I think I, I think I know you. And they hadn't been to church for a long time, and, 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 and they're like, well, we've got all these things have happened, and, and we're lonely, and, and life is hard, and we're struggling. And, and by the time you get to that, where you've been go- separated from a body for a very long period of time, a lot of time you've lost hope. It's had a detrimental effect. And, and even if it goes on too long, you may need even professional counseling in order to help you identify where you turned and made the wrong turn. And then they back you out. Professional counselors are trained to do that, to walk you back where you made the wrong turns and take you out of the maze that you've gotten yourself into. There's a pastor in Dallas, First Baptist Church of Dallas, and his name is Robert Jeffress. Excellent preacher. Very strong preacher. You'll hear him on the radio. Very significant voice for the gospel. And I heard him not long ago talk about counseling. About the need for counseling. The, the desperate need for counselors everywhere of all kinds. Marriage counselors, financial counselors. We, we're just awash with counselors in our society. There's so many problems and so many struggles. And he said very clearly, and I agree with him wholeheartedly on this, the best counseling that we can receive as Christians, the very best counseling we can receive, church every Sunday. Church every Sunday, you're hearing the word taught, you're hearing the wisdom of God, your spirit, your indwelling spirit is receiving that. You're processing it. You're being encouraged by it. You're seeing you're not alone. There's been so much suffering and loneliness and other things through the ages. You know, uh, you know when you read the Bible and you're, you hear the Bible and you hear the songs, the encouragement that comes through that is the best counseling anyone can ever have. Being in church on Sunday. The reason I, I just kind of took this sidebar kind of went to this away from the text. Usually we're going right in the text, be really honest. I, I just wanted to encourage everyone that, that the, the apostles weren't simply devoted to the local church 
because it was an organization. They knew they needed the body. And uh, I want to mention this because after lunch now, we are having our congregational meeting for the fall. And I've really got to tell you, we've really got a great body of Christ in this church. We have a lot to be thankful for in this body. The encouraging of one another, the sharing with one another. Sure, we have our struggles. But we are very blessed that we are in this body and we need to worship Christ for it and be thankful to him for it. So I want to thank all of you here today just for your love for the body of Christ, the church. Looking at our text, observing John's now kind of moving towards a closing of this letter, he wraps up the letter by providing the Christians five things that we can know for certain. Five things we can know for certain. We're going to cover two of them today. These are very important. First, you can know that you have eternal life. That is in verse 13. Look with me. It says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. This is the greatest summary statement in John's letter right here. In this powerful epistle we've been reading, he's saying, I've written these things because you need to know that you have eternal life. You need to have confidence that God has given you that eternal life and that salvation by believing on the name of the Son of God. Very important. And, and you need to be able to trust in the reliability and the clarity of this message about Jesus Christ. John, John doesn't simply say it's like, you might possibly know that you have eternal life, or, or perhaps you could, maybe, might, someday have eternal life. No, he says that by reading this, you may know that you have eternal life. Christians have confidence. We have confidence in, in a whole lot of things. One of the most important one is that you know that you have received eternal life and that that life will never end. Thus, eternal life, right? If you've received it, as Scripture says you have, and it's eternal, it wasn't temporary, right? It is eternal life. And uh, you, you can't lose your salvation. As Romans chapter 8 said earlier, there might be trials and distress and tribulations, but nothing, no created thing could separate you from the love of Christ, and we overwhelmingly conquer. What an amazing passage there, clear on the salvation and the eternal security of the believer. And admittedly, we're going to run into texts that are difficult. Um, and, and if you take them in isolation, they might perhaps suggest that maybe a believer could lose eternal life. But when you examine them within their context... They don't actually say that. There's a few difficult passages. Remember what we learned last week. You take what is very clear in Scripture, what is obvious and evidently clear in Scripture, and you use that to interpret what is less clear in Scripture, right? Let's take an example. What do you do with Colossians 1, verse 22? I'll read it for you here. God has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If, indeed, you continue firmly in the faith, established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. 
And those from uh, what we call an Arminian theology would say, see, that tells you right there that a saved person could move away. No, it doesn't actually say that. No, it doesn't. It says, God has now reconciled you if, indeed, you continue in the faith and do not move away from the, from the hope of the gospel. In short, you could abbreviate it this tightly. God has reconciled you if you continue in the faith. That's a conditional clause. Notice the word if. God has reconciled you if you continue in the faith. But in a conditional clause, the opposite statement is also true. If you do not continue in the faith, you have not been reconciled to God. Never were. Never have been. You weren't saved. You instead were a false convert, is what that would say. So you take what is clear in Scripture to interpret what is less clear, and it makes sense. You have to continue in the faith. Basically, it's teaching, if you're reconciled to God, you have to continue in the faith. Just as Romans chapter 8, and this little passage from John here said, in, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2 that we read a few weeks ago, they went, went out of us because they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown or made manifest that they're not really of us. Everything in the Bible consistently points to the eternal security of the believer. Those ones who fall out of the ranks, they go AWOL, they disappear for a season. We don't know, we can't read hearts, but they didn't lose their salvation. God's word shows us they didn't lose their salvation. They were never the real deal if they never come back. They may be in a season of rebellion and God might chasten them as his children and bring them back. But they weren't sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise unto the day of redemption, as it tells us in Ephesians. So as with our example from Colossians, there, there are a few, small number of passages that might be taken out of context to suggest that uh, you might doubt eternal security. But they're far overshadowed by the security that God gives us through his word. And that's made clear through the Bible. In verse 13, it said, These things I have written to you so that you may know you have eternal life. K-N-O-W, Adrian Rogers would always say. K-N-O-W, you know you have eternal life. Romans 8 says, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's in God's hands now. In Ephesians 1.14, God chose us from the foundation of the world. All of these point to eternal security. And it's a staple doctrine of the Christian faith. Besides that, if your salvation depended on you, your eternal security depended on you, how would you ever know if you're saved? How would you ever know? Thankfully, we can know. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so, right? The Bible is the authority. Um, but John indicates you and I can have a confidence in a whole lot more than just our salvation. In fact, you can also have confidence that as a Christian, God will answer your prayers. Not only answer your prayers, but that God will answer your prayers affirmatively. You like the sound of that? Simply by asking according to His will. Look with me at verse 14. This is the confidence which we have before God. We're confident. This is the confidence we have before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, 
He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know, K-N-O-W, that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. Please notice a couple things about this confidence that we have. This receiving a positive answer to our prayer doesn't come while asking for anything we want. It doesn't tell us that God will grant us anything if we simply have enough faith. That's not what the Bible teaches. God isn't at our beck and call. The Bible never teaches that. And really, that, that's just so incredibly ridiculous. We can just have whatever we want if we just have enough faith. Yet, there are people on TV that constantly teach that. If you just have enough faith, you can have anything you want. There's a secret. That's what it is. It's Eastern mysticism. No wonder so many, just scores of people, scores of people across the world now with TV and internet watch that stuff. It doesn't happen. They ask what they want. It doesn't happen, happen, and they just become alienated from Christianity and Jesus Christ because someone told them they could have something that God never told them they could have. But we can have confidence in things that we ask. Can you pray, God, I really want a private jet. I want a private jet. Could, would you really honestly have, expect to have any confidence in a prayer like that? No. No. Why? Why would you not have confidence in a prayer like that? Because God has never told you it's His will that you have a private jet. Because God doesn't reveal His will concerning every individual thing for every individual person throughout time. God doesn't uh, give us an outline of our selfish desires and what we desire in His Bible that we can expect according to His will. We don't each have our own little chapter in here somewhere titled, Rita, here's my will for you. You're going to have a jet. No. We don't each get our own individual chapter. Um, What God does reveal in Scripture is His will concerning all Christians. What He desires of all Christians, every Christian of every age of every time, He does tell us what He desires and what His will is consistently for all of us. So you you can know that if you ask anything according to the will of God found in Scripture concerning every Christian, you can know that when you do, He will answer affirmatively. There are some things that we should be praying for boldly and with confidence. Boldly and asking God to come through with confidence. And, And these really should highlight our prayer time. What we're asking God to do according to His will should be prominent in our prayer time. Lord, give me open doors to the gospel. Lord God, provide those open doors where I can speak to other people about Jesus Christ. That is His will. He will fulfill that request. Now, is He promising that every person that you talk to about Christ or that you proclaim the word to, does He promise that every single one's going to exercise faith? No, He doesn't promise that. 
But he, it is his will that we witness. He will open that door to witness. Um, unfortunately, what we do is a lot of times we, we dominate our prayer times with stuff that we have no idea what his will is. So we aren't asking with confidence because we don't really know what God is going to do and we just throw a few, lob a few things up there. The other thing we need to remember is if you're saved, you might refuse to do God's will. That's not an option for the unbeliever. They can't do God's will because they're not saved. They're living in the domain of darkness. They're separated from Him. And they're dead in their trespasses and sins, right? We're told in Ephesians 2. They're under what Luther described as the bondage of the will. A will that only serves self, a sinful self, never God. But once you're saved, once you're a born-again, regenerate Christian, you now have the freedom, and not only the freedom, the responsibility to obey God's will as he's revealed it in Scripture. So let me really oversimplify for an example. We know that God, uh, from God's word, that it's God's will that we'd be generous to the poor. Simple example. You might, you might pray, well, God, provide me a generous heart. Because I know that's your will in Scripture. That's clearly God's will. Yet you decide to not be generous. What happened there? Why didn't you receive what your prayer was? Because it was an insincere prayer. Instead of really wanting to be generous and asking God to give you the opportunity to be generous, what you've done through the prayer is tried to shift the responsibility to God. God, somehow make me generous. It's insincere. You never really wanted to be generous. If you really want to be generous, you say, God, I want to be generous, He's going to bring opportunities for you to notice that. You're going to see where God wants, to, wants you to be used. Um, we can't transfer our responsibility to God and say, well, God, I prayed it. You verbalized the words and now it should be magically so. If, if you aren't obedient, God's not going to help you if you're, just, if you're doing it insincerely, the prayers. But you can know that if you genuinely, according to God's will, uh, ask a prayer, that, that He will... If you do it sincerely, he will answer affirmatively. God, provide me opportunities for evangelism. He wants that. We know that. God, give me a generous heart. God, heal my broken relationships in the church. You ask that sincerely, he will orchestrate that. A lot of times we don't want our broken relationships healed, do we? Because we're sinful. But if you genuinely ask, God, help me in my difficult situation. Help me to get to church on Sunday. We know that's His will. We have to follow through and be obedient. If we ask sincerely, God will fulfill it. It's really learning God's will. We see here is essential to effective prayer. And uh, you and I can have confidence to know what God's will is. And you can know that God will answer your prayers in an affirmative way because God has revealed His will through His Spirit. He has revealed it. This is the privilege of the Christian. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This begins in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. I appreciate how the New King James renders this. It says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, Paul says, the hidden wisdom of God which God ordained before the ages for our glory. 
which none of the rulers of this age, meaning the apostolic age, knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of God, uh, things of a man, except the Spirit of a man which is in him, which indwells him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. They're revealed through the Spirit, right? Now we have received, he says, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We can know the things freely given through the Spirit to us, uh, to us from God. This is referring to Scripture. Everybody says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God's prepared for those who love Him. And you'll hear it on the radio and they'll say, oh, wow, wonderful how heaven's going to be. That's not talking about heaven. Heaven's nowhere in that passage. God, that, God is not talking about heaven in that passage. Don't use it that way. What he says is, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. God's already revealed it. He has, past tense, revealed it. Through His Word, His will, so we can live in a way that is obedient to Him. That is why God has given us His Word, so we can know His will. What about uh, people who have not been born again, have not become Christians? What about them? The passage continues, verse 14. But the natural man, that means the unsaved man, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Scripture, he doesn't receive it. For they're foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, it says, have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We can know what God wants from us. We don't know specifically what color car he wants us to drive or what model or what year. But we know as a Christian how he wants us to love. We've got to keep searching this. The more that we learn from this, the more that is revealed in the Bible, the more we'll be able to be obedient to him. We're going to pray more successfully because we know his will and he's going to answer those prayers we know what God wants from us so concerning our prayers we need to ask with bold confidence when we come across these things we need to offer up all things for prayers what does Philippians say it says be anxious for nothing but in everything be in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known for God to God yeah we can ask for everything but the things that we know his will ought to prioritize our prayer time. We can ask for what, what, whatever we need reasonably within the parameters of Scripture as long as they don't violate Scripture. God would say, the Bible would say, actually, if it's urgent, ask again, right? We have a wonderful Father in Heaven who knows your needs. And um, 
even with Christ as he modeled in the garden, you know, and he even knew God's will, he said, nonetheless, God, take this cup from me, nonetheless, not my will, but thy will. He yielded to God's will. And uh, we had this model to us through Christ. He, he was facing agony. He wanted God to take that cup away in, the, in that moment. Yet he knew God's will. What was the answer of God's prayer to Jesus? The Father's prayer to the Son? Who did he send? He sent an angel to strengthen him through the trial. He said he sent an angel to strengthen him to encourage him. That is the response we can expect when we're in trouble, when we're in need. God isn't always going to rescue us out of it. What he will do is strengthen us, as Romans 8 said, through trial, through tribulation, through distress, through all things we will conquer. We will conquer. God will be there. He will strengthen you. I think of that quite often. It's like, what would I do if I was facing execution for my faith as they are in many parts of the year or parts of the world and I'm like what would I do would I be able to stand because the word says I'll be able to stand in, my, in myself I don't know what I'd do but God would strengthen we will overwhelmingly conquer through him who strengthens us as we close here I think that one thing we need to adjust too often we pray with things with a question mark at the end. Too often we pray with a question mark uh, so we don't pray with confidence because we don't know His will. And, and part of that can be because a lot of our requests are really, are really vague. When we pray, aren't we vague? Like we don't know what we, we even really want. We aren't specific in our prayer, so how would you know if God even answered the prayer? In effect, we pray for things we don't really know God's will on much of the time, myself included, uh, because I don't want to be presumptive. Often I'll even include, say, well, Lord, not my will, but thy will, you know. Or, there's a better, well, that's like Jesus, but remember, Jesus knew God's will in that situation. He knew it. And the other one that we always use, this is interesting to ponder, we, we pray with, with James 4.13. It says, well, if the Lord wills. You know what's interesting about that? In that chapter, James is not giving us a model for prayer. He's not saying pray like this. What he's telling us, don't boast in your arrogance. He's really not giving us a prayer, uh, a prayer model on that. That's not a prayer, John 4, or James 4.13. But we use it. I'll probably continue to use it. We don't want to be presumptive in prayer, but that's not necessarily our model for prayer. A better model for prayer is to ask things that we know God's will on and then make all of our other requests known to God as well because He cares for us. We need to not be deceived into thinking we can't ask for things with boldness, with confidence, for people to be saved, for um, Christ to be glorified, for the kingdom to be expanded. And when we see God respond to those in an affirmative way, we know it is Him who is working through our obedience according to His will. Let's try it. As we close. 
Lord, in our weakness, Lord, we become very focused on ourselves. Lord, you told us to be anxious about nothing, just to make our request known to you, Lord God. And we need to trust in you. Lord, we worry about cars and homes and air conditioners. And Lord, uh, I don't find any of that in Scripture, Lord. We know you'll, you'll provide for us according to our every need, Lord God. And we want to pray right now that you would use this church to glorify your Son. Lord, you've revealed in your will that you want to see glory given to the Son who died for our sins. And that you told us, Lord, that, that you want us to witness all around the world, Lord God, for the gospel. Lord, we pray that you will strengthen us to do that. That you'll help us to overcome our, our reservations to speak to strangers. Lord, we pray that you would draw people to redemption, Lord, to salvation, and that you build your church through using us. Lord, if it depended on us, boy, we'd fail miserably, but you have told us to be confident, to pray that you're going to do a marvelous work, even in Port St. Lucie, Lord God, as you build your church and add souls. Lord, we pray that uh, we would turn to Christ, that we would turn from our sin that so overwhelms us, that so distracts us, Lord, that so imprisons us and so traps us. Lord, help us to overcome that. Help our heart to truly want to resist the sins so that we'll be used by you. Lord, there's so many people hurting out there, so many lost, Lord, it's so easy for us to to walk by. Lord, let us not do that any longer. Let us be bold. Let us be confident, Lord God, in praying to you and asking for those opportunities to honor you in everything that we do, Lord. Help us in our weakness. Send an angel to strengthen us. But Lord, don't fail to use us. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.